Well, it's great to be back. Um, as I look around, I see many people who've, whom I have incredible number of connections. Greg Horsley said he first met me as a cook at a Wycliffe jungle camp, which is not a role I tend to um, do much of these days. But it's great to be back amongst you, uh, amongst friends. It's been close to two years now since Mary Lou and I began a partnership with you. And so much has happened in that time. Uh, we haven't got time to share all that with you, but so many of your prayers have been answered, and I can rejoice in telling you that God is at work in Nepal in very exciting ways. How beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. God is also at work here in Armadale and through the body of Christ here with each of us at the cathedral. And every body needs food to grow, and so it's my privilege to uh, be part of that feeding process this morning with some insights from the scriptures that uh, we've had read to us, entitled Son of Man Tested. As we think of testing, I think of Martin Luther's comment, the great Christian of Reformation times, who said, you can't stop the birds flying over your head, but you can stop them nesting in your hair. He was referring to the ever-present problem of temptation and testing in our lives. We're always being tested and tempted. You might be tempted to drive just that little bit quicker because you know that on this road there's few instances of police and radar traps and you're trying to get to an important Christian meeting. You might be tempted to watch another great TV show or a sporting event or have a look at what was said uh, that you were tagged on in Facebook to see if anyone or see if anyone responded to a comment you made. You know in the past that that's caused you to go to bed so late that you wake up exhausted the following morning and don't get round to reading your Bible to commence your day. You might be tempted to click on the pretty girl picture that pops up on the internet site when you're looking at it and you have just no idea where it came from. You might go to an ATM and request $50 and be given $600 from the machine. Ask Brendan about that one. For me, bribery and corruption is rife all over Asia. Christians are always being tempted to compromise their honesty, their integrity, and this happens at airports, it happens during uh, looking at your luggage, visa applications, and in all areas of life, we're tempted and tested. And that'll continue on right through our lives. We're tested by those three great enemies of the faith, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So how do we respond to that? Can these passages today about Jesus primarily help us? Well, the great news is they can. And we can learn a lot from Jesus today. I'll just point out a few insights that God has given me. First, a little bit of background in chapter 3, the section before chapter 4, we see uh, Jesus re-enter the story now as a grown man. His identity as Christ is revealed in two ways, supernaturally and naturally. Supernaturally, at his baptism, God speaks the 13 words of incredible depth and meaning. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. 13 words for the audience then and for us now reminding us of two things that God, Jesus came to rule and restore and that he will be a suffering servant. 
the final eight words, the first eight words, you are my son whom I love, uh, take us and the original readers back to God's word to Abraham in Genesis 22 where he said, take your son whom you love and sacrifice him. But unlike Abraham, there'd be no last minute reprieve. No ram caught in the thicket to replace him. For God, his choice to give up Jesus' life leading to his death was a deeply personal and agonising decision for him. That's the supernatural one. The natural one was his identity being revealed through the family line of Joseph, David, Abraham and Adam. And often when we read those begat, begat, begats, we tend to skip over those. But it's interesting, as you uh, connect with some of the Asian people groups who have the scriptures in their tongue, when they see a family tree like that, all of a sudden the scriptures become incredibly relevant and gain credibility. So now that his identity has been established supernaturally and naturally, we read chapter 4, our passage for today. And we read that the Holy Spirit led him into the desert to be tested. He leads him, but he doesn't leave him. In fact, at the end of this particular section, we see that he leaves full of the Spirit to continue his work. This passage is relevant to us as God will test us and this tempting will help us grow and be greater equipped to serve him in each day of our life. So there's some some general principles that we can look for from uh, each of these temptations. Well, yes, there is. And I just mentioned this. The person you're becoming will determine your ability to triumph over testing. Let me just say that again. The person you're becoming will determine your ability to triumph over testing. I'm not saying the person you are as we're always changing. God is always changing us. And God commands us to walk in the light. Walking involves progress in response to a decision that we make initially to move. God is not done with us. God has great plans for us uh, in our future. It's exciting to think about that. And Jesus' reply to each of the temptations always begins with the phrase, it is written. Or putting it another way, the scriptures say. Earlier in chapter 2, we saw Jesus at 12 years old interacting with the word of God at the the temple. He wasn't just reading it. He was actively involved in the scriptures. He was asking questions. He was listening to responses and letting the scriptures question him. The onlookers were amazed by his understanding and his answers. This growth in understanding continued over the next 18 years to where we see Jesus uh, as he entered the wilderness. The scriptures are living words from God and they have the ability to change us. We need to pray for a spirit of awe and expectation as we read them. We need to to ask questions of the word. We need to interact with it and we need it to question us. And Jesus grew in wisdom, Jesus changed and we need to change as well. And Jesus knew the scriptures at that time. He knew all the scriptures. And he challenges us to continue or to begin reading and studying God's word in a systematic and daily way. Asking God to write on our hearts what he has for us. And 
asked, and he will faithfully recall passages of scripture for us in times of need. And they will encourage us and they will convict us of things that we need to do. We need to do that on two levels. We need to be fed systematically on two levels. The first one on an individual level and secondly uh, as we come together in church. And Mary Lou and I have with many of you been blessed through the faithful exposition of scriptures here at the cathedral uh, um, for us through the last five deans. Who's been here for five deans? Yep, a few of you. Okay. Okay. And friends, be encouraged, if you're a bit more recent than that, that these folk, as a result of that, have been fed a rich and balanced diet over the last three decades by coming each week. So continue to come every week to church to be fed as a group. Dean Lindsay, who actually uh, met with me uh, over the phone every two weeks uh, for the eight years I was in Emmerville uh, to check up on how it was going, told me that he followed through here, you probably weren't aware of this, of a four-year cyclical program where he tried to touch on every aspect of, all the, of the whole counsel of God. It's good to know. Dean Stephen, good friend of mine, when I asked him as he approached his last sermon series at the cathedral, what book would he preach on? He said he'd like to preach on a book that he'd never taught before. And that would force him to engage uh, with and teach from more of the counsel of God and enrich him as a person. And when I asked him his secret for reading the Bible systematically as an individual at a personal level, he said he focused primarily on reading the lectionary readings uh, and that would give him an overall um, view of the scriptures. And I have every confidence that uh, Dean Chris will also look after you in this area as he takes the right preaching of God's word very seriously. For myself, I use the scripture union encounter with God notes as I know that they cycle through the whole Bible every four or five years. I've been doing it for 20 years, so that means I know I've been through the whole Bible at least four or five times. So for you, I encourage you to come every week, but I also challenge you to think about, well, how am I uh, doing that? Do I have a plan to read the whole counsel of God, to equip me for times of testing? The person we're becoming will be moulded by God as we treat this whole counsel of God. God that he gives to us as we interact with it. Now let's just uh, get to one or two of the points of the application for each of the three temptations that Jesus goes through. Temptation number one, the devil tests Jesus by saying to him, turn the rocks into food to satisfy your hunger <coughs> if you're the son of God. Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days and hadn't eaten and was, surprise, surprise, hungry. I don't know about you, but I get hungry after about four hours on the first day. I don't know how to go after 40 days. Jesus had a real physical need, and the devil gives him a way out to satisfy it. Use your power, your authority to turn a stone into food and satisfy that need. Jesus responds with a quotation from Deuteronomy 8, a verse from our first reading this morning, which also says, God humbled you the Israelites, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, neither, which neither you nor your fathers have known, to teach you that man must live on bread alone. But not just on that, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus remembered how God had fed the Israelites need for food for 40 years in the, in the desert. And he'd surely meet his uh, need for uh, being there just 40 days. 
Jesus also reminds his hearers later in chapter 12 not to worry about what we'll eat or drink or clothes that we need um, because he'll provide. The non-Christian world will get caught up in all these things. We need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be ours as well. The outcome from the Deuteronomy passage that I just alluded to was conditional on them obeying God's word. Deuteronomy 8 verse 1 says, Be careful to follow every command I give you. We need to be careful to firstly obey uh, all the ones that we, we are received as well. In Psalm 1, the great introduction to the Psalter, we're reminded that a man who meditates on the word day and night will be blessed. So when the word convicts you, you need to respond to that conviction in obedience. Your obedience to God's word will cause you to grow in wisdom and the Holy Spirit will help you triumph in times of testing as it did for Jesus. Head knowledge that doesn't move to your heart is powerless. Satan knew the scriptures but didn't obey them. He wasn't changed by them. The person you are becoming will be shaped as you obey God's word. Put into practice the conviction you receive from God as you read his word. The second command that sticks out from Deuteronomy is to remember what God has done. God is best described as a verb, a doing word, not a noun. God is a doer. We're encouraged to think not only of what God has done in the scriptures, but also what he has done in our own lives. As Mary Lou and I think back and reflect on how God orchestrated events in our lives to get to Nepal and keep us there and our partnership with you guys, we are encouraged to continue on. It's testing being in Nepal, but we are encouraged as we look back and we see God and what he has done. The Nepalis have just survived a wilderness experience. We read about it, they experienced it. Their first post-earthquake winter. God in his mercy has provided an unusually warm and dry winter. Before the onset of winter, the one we've just passed, UNICEF predicted that if it was a cold winter, a normal one, that over a million children would die from exposure because of the fact that the earthquake had knocked down the shelter and the food blockade and the supply blockades were stopping people coming in and rebuilding them. Thankfully, many Christian aid agencies were able to provide food, blankets and shelter with other folk. So do pray for the Christians of Nepal like, that, that they, like Jesus, filled with the Spirit, have survived their wilderness experience as it's worsened by the supply blockade, that they have su- survived that test trusting in God, that they too can look back and see how God was faithful in their lives and continue to persevere with him in these testing times. Pray too for the many non-Christian recipients of aid in Nepal. 97% of people in Nepal are non-Christians. Pray that they'd make the connection when they receive aid from Christians that God is the only one who can move the mountains. And he certainly moved the mountains on April 25th, the year before last. Um, He can move the mountains and he is mighty to save. We thank God that we're partnering with you, helping enable the parents of kids at the school we teach at to be used mightily in this amazing rescue work, spiritually and physically. The second temptation, we see the devil leads Jesus to a high place where he can tempt him with glory and honour. 
He then states he has the power to give him success and glory uh, and to give it to him immediately. So just two comments on that temptation. Firstly, the devil is the master of lies. He's a deceiver. Christians today are tested and easily deluded by wealth and power and make major compromises in their values and beliefs as they pursue those goals. With wealth and power we can gain glory and honour, but a temporary glory and honour. You know, we've heard that phrase, I sold my soul to the devil to get that promotion, or whatever it was. Jesus responded to this test by quoting one of our other passages we read, Deuteronomy chapter 6, which says, Fear the Lord, serve him only. We are commanded here not to follow other gods, the gods of the people around us. Uh, For God is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you. So a good test of what we worship is to think of what our minds turn to when the urgent things, those things that demand our immediate attention, that crowd in our lives, when they're removed. Where does your mind drift to? Think about that, whether that's a God that you're following. So what are some of the gods of our community, of our world? What do you, your close non-Christian friends invest all their time and interest in? What, the, what do they, by doing that, get their meaning from? That also gives you a good idea on their meaning in life. If they're striving for something and leaving God out of the picture, they may be carrying you along uh, in their enthusiasm, if you are not watchful of that. Each of us has a unique situation to deal with. Uh, temptations are very subtle and very powerful and will continue right through our lives. J.B. Phillips says in Romans 12, Do not let the world squeeze you into its mould. Worship God and serve him only. And on the, uh, the second comment about that second temptation is that Jesus has a great hope. He knows his future. He knows that he will die and on the third day he'll be raised. He knows that he will be exalted to the highest place. And at the, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. So he remains pre- uh, obedient in that present test because he knows any glory offered by Satan will be temporary and unsatisfying. So folks, remember that heaven is our home and every day we are one day nearer. Having a certain hope will mould the person you're becoming. The third temptation we read of, we see the devil taking Jesus to a religious capital, to the religious capital, lifting up to the highest point on the mountain, on on the temple, and gives him an inspiring view, one yelling of God's presence. Satan's temptation, jump and the angels will catch you. The problem is, though, of course, that he's misquoting scripture. He's misquoting a psalm. He has twisted the meaning of the scriptures and Jesus, knowing the word of God, corrects it with another. You should not put the Lord, your God, to the test. And he reminds us that there is one author of all scripture and and that being having one author, that all scripture is consistent. So if we hear people teaching us stuff which jars, then we need to test that scripture or their interpretation of it with other scriptures. God will meet our needs. Again, read the scriptures carefully. Join a Bible study and you lessen the chances of falling for weird applications of God's word. The person we are becoming needs to be fashioned by a deepening understanding of God's word. We need to grow in our understanding as well. That will guard you against wrong teaching and heresy that you'll be exposed to in different degrees right through your life. 
The great danger for the church in Nepal is not persecution. They had plenty of that between 1951 and 1990. Those first 40 years, you would go to jail for two years if you became a Christian or changed your religion. Between 1990 and, and uh, between 1951 and 1990, the number of Christians in Nepal went from one who was fairly quiet about his faith to 40,000 during that time of persecution. Today, there is over a million Christians, praise God, worshipping in Nepal. That is an extraordinary growth. Just bear with me with the maths. I'm a maths teacher for a moment. But say we had just 100 people. Say we've got 200 people here today, or back in 1990 when some of us remember those times. Times that by 25, you're talking 5,000 people. 5,000 people coming to the morning service. That would be exciting, wouldn't it? Okay, But that's the growth of the church in Nepal at the moment. And in some of the western areas, the growth is even higher. With that growth comes the need for good teaching. There's all sorts of sects and things like that going into Nepal. And they pray for a continued influx of godly teachers into the country. Okay? There are Christians, we worship at a church there uh, where all the people come because it's the only English-speaking church in our region. So we, we are blessed by seeing all the YWAM teams, the Great Race, all these other missionaries coming to fill that void. Pray for the pastors, some of whom have very little training and some of whom actually we teach their kids at KISC. So that's strategic that we keep them on track. So do pray for that problem of, with that incredible growth, the growth pain of not having good teaching. Finally, it's good to remember that when we appear to be faced with an incredibly hard situation to remember, please, um, that hard situation to remember that with every temptation, there is an uneven pull. The devil is powerful, but he's not the creator. God is more powerful than the devil. With God's help, you can overcome any temptation, irrespective of how long you've been held in his grasp. So today you might ask to, want to ask God to release you from that temptation that you've been holding on to. Okay. Um, Satan cannot be everywhere at once like Jesus can. Jesus has to be able to go everywhere so he can hear our prayers. God has the power, when we call on it, to deliver us from all evil and lead us not into temptation. The people we are becoming determines our ability to triumph in times of testing. These three temptations, uh, through these temptations, we've been challenged to accept our part in that moulding process. The Spirit leads, equips and fills us, but J.R. Packer says that we must walk in, keep in step with the Spirit. I mentioned earlier that God can be described as a verb, as a doing word. So let me just reiterate Jesus' example and the challenges that we have in these following ways. Firstly, uh, let me put, to them, put them to you as commands. So, lean on the whole counsel of God. Systematically study his word. Interact with the scriptures. Question them and let them question you. Obey the commands God gives us. Transfer head knowledge to our hearts. Be sensitive and alert to the deception of the world and false teaching as we are presented, as it is presented to us. Hold on to that certain hope that we have 
in our election, in our adoption into God's family, that this life is not the end, that we can look forward to heaven afterwards. And remember that this change is a lifelong process. It is not who we are that matters, but who we are becoming. So friends, persevere through testing to the end. And pray for God's help in testing times for ourselves, for our church, and also our brothers and sisters in Nepal, remembering that the Holy Spirit leads us, remains with us, and fills us. Amen.